and welcome to another special episode of the chair shop podcast it is episode 411 and joining me today is my good friend paul griffin hello joe or paulie griffboids uh unfortunately barry is not with us again because he i think he's ott is that the reason he's at ott defiant today Ooh. which Ooh. is the um all women's pay-per-view getting in there before WWE. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no Barry. Yeah. So we're yeah we're actually going to do another audio commentary uh, this week. It's a Wonderful Life, the Christmas classic. No, not really. Um, sorry. <laughs> I love we did a Christmas classic in October. With Jimmy Stewart down the they wouldn't they wouldn't yeah. be expecting that would they? So, but no, we thought we'd done a couple of commentaries recently. We we, we like to keep him as a little surprise. So mm. if we if we'd done another one, it wouldn't be very surprising. So anyway, well that's what I, I don't uh, I don't want to get to the point that we're just forcing ourselves to do commentaries for the sake of it. So no 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 no. Cha- what? Oh, we're having a topic running. Well, let Joe explain what the show is first, and then you give us the topic. Yeah, right? we haven't got to that bit yet. We, yeah, we haven't explained that was, the topic yet. That was foreshadowing. Um, yes, yeah, so we are we are going to do this kind of uh, special episode, though. It's not going to be just a rundown of the usual guffs and news. Um, we are going to do a special feature-length explain and... I wonder, take a... Very good. You, you did it justice. Of, the brothers of discussion. Yeah, because Barry's not here to poo-poo it. So, uh, exactly. Um, so, if you don't remember that feature, God knows why you would. Um, uh, congratulations, first of all. Essentially, I mean, it's it's kind of similar to debate, Carly, isn't it? In a way, but it's more of a discussion than a. I feel a like I feel like explain and. Hang on a minute here. Uh, Undertaker is um yeah is less confrontational than debate Kali is yeah because a lot of the topics I've written down here are not necessarily that I will be taking one side and Joe the other they're they're just topics for for discussion hence the name yeah we're yeah. just gonna put some thoughts out there look at both sides of the argument and you know give you some some food for thought yeah. Okay. So Natty, Natty is going to give us our first topic. It's hopefully not one of my oh, ones about... She can kick us off. ...about whether McDonald's or Burger King is the better burger. Okay, Natty, give us our first topic of the night. Well, Joe explained it to you, but I don't have headphones on, so I don't know what it is about. Just, what? what's your topic? I was going to say that Michael Buble is retiring, so who is going to pick up the Christmas workload of songs? Michael Bube is retiring. I'm not. I've not heard about this. Yeah, his son <coughs> got cancer, and ever since his oh. son has been in treatment, he's been a broken man, and he confirmed his retirement today. Oh. <clears throat> he's not gonna be doing Christmas this year. Okay. <laughs> so Christmas is cancelled. What other crooners are there to pick up the mantle then? Maybe um, 
Arctic Monkeys, given the way that they've been going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ronan Keating. Right. <laughs> it's funny though, because I um not to segue into a little bit of a guff, but keeping it somewhat on topic, I listened to the last Shadow Puppets albums this yeah. week, both of them, and the first one is like really good, and it's um very inspired by has like an Ennio Morricone sound to it, has a bit of a Monty Norman sound to it. One one of the songs just sounds like it could be a James Bond theme song. And then the second album is just a kind of not as good Arctic Monkeys album. It doesn't have that same sound that the first one did. It's very, very, very divergent from what the first one was establishing. And I think it's just in part to the fact that Alex Turner, um, I think I mentioned last week, had you know Arctic Monkeys had this um, working class charm, this kind of swagger, and now he's just a bit of a a, a croony a knob. A a bit, a, I was going to say a wanker, Joe. Um, uh, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. Um, like I, I was looking up live performances of um, "I Bet You Look Good" on the dance floor. So I think back, cast your mind back to two thousand six, uh, maybe two thousand five. Don't remember when the single originally came out. Alex Turner, "Don't Believe the Hype," and they burst into. <laughs> and it, it's all uh, Romulus and Capulets banging tunes and and all that, right? Now you watch a 2018 live version of "Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor," and it's "I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor," and he's giving oh. it the old buble treatment, and it's it's, it's a oh, I don't like it. So maybe he could. Um, pop in there and rattle off yeah. little drummer boy and uh yeah some Frank Sinatra stuff some Frank Sinatra maybe some Frosty, Dean Martin the snowman has a very happy soul some Andy Williams maybe yeah speaking of past it um I've got Strictly Come Dancing on right and they've just they've just stopped for a musical interlude from the Backstreet Boys I'll be honest they look older than Kane and the Undertaker. <laughs> they must be 70 if they're a day. Uh, I was shocked that they're all still alive, to be honest. I tell you yeah. what, when I think to, back to the Backstreet Boys, right, you had little um, Carter, whatever his first name was. Um, you have Kevin, I think was the name of one of them. And then you had, um, was it AJ? The name of one yeah. of them? He looked yeah. like he was 40 back then. Yeah, some of them were suspiciously he, old. He looked like he could have been arrested at Backstreet Boys' dad. <laughs> Maybe he drove them to gigs. I think that's it. Yeah, he yeah. definitely had a bit of that Anastasia, I'm 40, but hey, I'm still cool. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Michael Bublé, anyway. Um, I've just read an article that says he's not retiring after all. Oh? Hang on. So his, his, his people, his right. people have said actually don't listen to what he said in the interview he's not really retiring uh they've probably got him on a 10 album deal for the next 12 years mm. um yeah so i mean he's got an album coming out in two days or excuse me in 16th of november oh i don't think that'll be his last album i kind of feel like if you know saudi arabia were to offer him Ten million dollars to do a concert, he'd probably come out of retirement. Right. Well, I tell you what, 
unknowingly, Natalia has set up the perfect segue into one of my topics. Okay? okay. Topic so number one. Topic number, just say topic number one. So what, what have we did, included? Buble's not going anywhere. Uh, well, he might have a sabbatical or something. Yeah, a sabbatical, and then he'll be back. He'll be back. Banging out the tunes. Okay, uh, number two. Number two. And this is this is kind of segue as well off what we just discussed, and that's how seriously should we take wrestling retirements? Um, obviously, the talk lately has been about Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement after a nine-year absence for this Saudi Arabia show, and a lot of people are are not happy about it. A lot of people are happy about it, and it just kind of made me wonder: um, is there really any? any reason for wrestlers to kind of impose retirement on themselves um after all wrestling is is not a a real sport these the, the wrestlers are not held to any uh. real accountability for you know um retirement in the same way that other sports um might be for you know a footballer gets to a certain age just can't perform anymore has to retire yeah. um and wrestling, of course, has a bit of a carny reputation anyway, right? So why do the fans, and in some cases the wrestlers, take wrestling retirement so seriously? Because often the retirement match is in itself a stipulation. Right. And coming out of retirement is kind of... So essentially, I guess, in theory, the idea is people pay money to see a match based on the stipulation the stipulation is that that person retires if that person eventually comes out of retirement they're essentially you know misleading they've been mugged right exactly well i mean this goes back years and years and years back to the old territory days of the loser leaves town match and even that even that wording was used as recently as I don't know, the last 10 years in, in WWE, yeah. the, the loser leaves town. It never really made sense to me when I was a kid watching WWF and they would have a loser leaves town match. I mean, what does that really mean, loser leaves town? But that's it, it used to mean exactly just that, that you know the mm. loser would leave the territory uh, and move to another territory and kind of the cycle would repeat itself and that's how acts came fresh or stayed fresh and stayed relevant. Yeah. But um, in today's climate where WWE... WWE is so is so big and so um, omnipresent. Um, the the loser leaves town or the loser leaves WWE stipulation um, is one that's kind of taken less seriously these days because it's mm. been re- reneged on so much. Um, and then at the same just, time, you do have yeah. the ones where it is held to, um, most famously with Shawn Michaels, as it is in this case. Well. Well, well, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Because then, even even that one, even the most sacred of wrestling retirements, will have been undone. Um, yeah. Putting again the whole thing into question. And you you can see with the example of Daniel Bryan. Um, so he retired not as a stipulation, but as a real life thing. And then when he came back, obviously everyone was very happy because they hadn't been kind of fooled into thinking, you know, it was this emotional moment. Uh, that was in reality just a big con. Yeah, he retired for real, and then it turned out he didn't have to, so he came back. So that was fair enough. So I think that's the difference. You know, they didn't. When you're exploiting it to try to tell a story and to draw out emotion, and then you just kind of go back on that. 
it's not a surprise that people oh, get disappointed with it. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, if they didn't do that, like how many retirement tours have the Rolling Stones done? They've been doing it since the fucking <laughs> early 90s. You know, no one goes, oh, they said, you know, they were retiring because people are happy to be able to go and see their concerts still. Well, that's the thing as well. So, in movies, you had um, Daniel Day-Lewis last year did The Phantom Thread and kind of made it well yeah. known that this would be his last movie. Now, if Daniel Day-Lewis in, in five years' time announces he's making a new movie, are movie fans going to run to Twitter in outrage? He fucking yeah. said he was retiring the cunt. Now he's back. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that people would people really care. Unless, unless he charged like... 10 times more for his final movie. Yeah. On the basis that it was his final movie. Kind of like if you're a musician who does a, you know, like I think, I don't know if it was Sinatra or Streisand or some big, big, big kind of singer did a retirement tour and then, and charged obviously massive prices, kind of did like a limited run of, of gigs. Mm. And then they were back like a year or two later. And obviously the people that went to those gigs were like, we paid through the nose to see your final performances and now you're back, you know. Well, is that really what it's about? Is about the financial investment that people make in it more so than like an emotional investment? Yeah, possibly. I think maybe both. Mm. So obviously with with the wrestling thing, we weren't particularly financially invested in, you know, WrestleMania 26 when Shawn Michaels retired. We would have watched it anyway. You know, we weren't there. Yeah. So it didn't really cost us any more than it would have. But I think it was the emotional. You know, it was sold as that. It, it felt like his last match. He's an icon. So, yeah, so you do emotionally invest in it. And then when they go back on that, it's like, oh, God, you know. It's funny because I think with Shawn Michaels, it was more something that he felt that he wanted to hold on to rather than something that was really being being pushed on him by the fans or by the company. Because obviously, mm. you know, he, he was involved in that one Hell in the Cell match with Daniel Bryan, I remember. And there was like clamoring for him to, to come out and have a match with Bryan. And then there was, I think, the other year, Shawn Michaels, AJ Styles rumors. And um, and they, they never happened because it was always Shawn Michaels who says, no, I I, 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 yeah. I made a promise to The Undertaker and I, I, I gave my word and I won't go back and I won't go back on it. And then now he's announced for a match, he's going back on it. Um, yeah. But it was always it's something also- that he, he wanted. Like nobody, I don't think many fans wanted him to stay retired. Um... Yeah, I think if you offered me, I mean, that's the, this was the other thing I was going to say, the fact that he's coming back to wrestle in Saudi Arabia um, in a horrendous tag team match with three other old blokes is part of the thing as well. If he, if someone said, oh, Sean's going to come out of retirement to wrestle uh, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, I wouldn't be on unha- I'd say, yeah, go on then. Well, it's funny because they did then. a similar thing with Daniel Bryan where he was in a match with Shane McMahon where Shane McMahon did the brunt of the work in it. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, and then the, I want to take, obviously, the example of, of Shawn Michaels one step back because Shawn Michaels was also involved in in another wrestling retirement, that of Ric Flair. Um, and I think the Ric Flair retirement was taken a lot more differently than Shawn Michaels' one because that was the one where the fans actively wanted the wrestler to stay retired and the wrestler didn't want to stay retired. <laughs> and I think that was because... Yeah. Of, of the moment at the end of the match was almost so perfect. It was it was the perfect ending to the story in a way. Yeah. Um, and then whatever it was, eight, nine months later, Flair is in Australia with his arse out bleeding in a match against Hulk Hogan. Um, and Ric Flair then, 
I don't. He never. He never did wrestle again in WWE, which is at least right. the one kind of positive tilt to it. However, if they had the old Saudi deal a decade ago, you bet your ass Flair would have been in the ring. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised he's not wrestling at this one. To be honest. <laughs> He might be in the, think the World Cup. They haven't announced all the World yeah. Cup entrants yet. <laughs> I think if Saudi Arabia, you know, had enough money to to bring Flair back. Ah, uh, well, they did. Saudi Arabia didn't have Nitro. They didn't have the channel Nitro was on in the nineties. So they, they don't didn't have... get WCW worldwide. No, 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 I think it's because he got his ass out. That's not allowed in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so that's why they have never seen any of his matches. <laughs> I was lucky enough to um, experience the Ric Flair arse out spot in person. Um, at a hair show against the edge. <laughs> it wasn't a wreck. It wasn't in the ring. It was backstage at the merchandise stand, was it? <laughs> it was no, I saw him in the hotel later that evening. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I remember like my first experience with the old retirement angle. I think that I can remember anyway was um, in 1999 when they did the uh, Undertaker Steve Austin first blood match. And if Steve Austin won, Vince McMahon would leave. Mm. Uh, WWF forever I think that was in nine, that was in July 99 and then he was back before Unforgiven which was in September so he was gone for all of a, a two months and mm. um, I think that was my first exposure to the fact that retirement angles are for the most part um, pointless and then the most egregious example I could think of was the Nexus uh, Braid Wyatt ran the Orton title match where John Cena was the referee mm. and what was the stipulation for that it was something like if Wade Barrett didn't win that John Cena would uh, join the Nexus or leave or it was some, some real convoluted angle I don't know how they set that up but John Cena then anyway didn't obviously count the pin for Wade Barrett and then chose of his own accord to leave WWE um, it didn't miss a single edition of Raw as I recall yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think retirement angles, when done well, um, can be can be you know positive, especially um, in cases like the Ric Flair one, like the Shawn Michaels one, where okay, for the most part, they're they're stuck to. But I don't personally really begrudge wrestlers for as long as they stay away for a little while for coming back for for a run because ultimately wrestling isn't a sport and yeah i just don't really think it matters that much to be honest um i wish Shawn michaels was coming back under better circumstances in a better kind of um featured attraction that one that would maybe benefit a younger talent but um i don't really begrudge him having another match because i think he's more than capable of it um it's the other side of the coin where like the Undertaker hasn't retired, and oh, in a way, because he, he's kind of unspokenly retired a couple of times, uh, and mm. it's just like really, really bad now, and really stinking up the joint. Mm. Um, so there you go. I don't think I have any really any more thoughts on the topic. I don't know whether it's a topic that really has a conclusion either. Um, no, I think it depends very much on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, and ultimately. It probably doesn't matter that much. I'm just going to throw out as well the the most classy retirement, a little award here. Um, I'll give that to Steve Austin for not announcing his retirement, mm. having his last match, and then not making a big deal of it and never wrestling again. Yeah. Except that one time that he was nearly lured out of retirement uh, until he was told that 
Jonathan Coachman was going over him in that retirement match, and he said, "A hey, fuck that." <laughs> um, that was a really bizarre uh, idea. Whoever had that, we'll bring Austin out of retirement, and he'll lose to Jonathan Coachman. That'll do business. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think wrestling yeah. retirements should kind of be taken as ah, uh, so, like someone will be going away for a couple of years, you know. And yeah. if, if they choose to come back, that's fine by me, to be honest. Okay. Um. So there we go. Wrestling retirements. I think we've we can draw a line under that now. We've um, sc- we've scored that sponge for almost, as much as we could get. So yeah. Joe, we'll allow you so, to pick topic three for us there. Um. So I've actually got a quick one, just a kind of little, uh, little sorbet in between uh, the bigger topics. Okay. It's borrowing from Scott McAvoy. I've got a a pick one of three actors. Okay. Um, so three actors I've picked. You might spot the theme here: Tom Hardy, Heath Ledger, and Liam Neeson. Oh, I do see the 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 theme for sure. The theme there. It's the baddies from the Christopher Nolan Batman films. It is. There's a spoiler is. on Liam Neeson, but if you haven't seen Batman Begins by now, sorry about that. Um, I mean, right away, I I don't think that I have one that stands out necessarily. Tom Hardy, I know a lot of people who don't like Tom Hardy at all. Mm. Um, I quite like Tom Hardy, but at the same time, I can understand people's dislike for him, because he often, mm. he often does a wacky accent in his movies. Um, yeah, it's me, or Australian, I'm Mad Max for Furiosa. Mad Max. <laughs> um, yeah, I am a big Tom Hardy fan. I do like a lot of his films, so he, he's possibly the front runner for me. Just looking at Heath Ledger, obviously sadly died in 2008 so the thing with Heath Ledger um, is I don't know that his filmography is that strong outside of kind of his later years I think his, his yeah. earlier years was a little bit fluffier yeah I mean there's stuff like The Night, A Knight's Tale um, Mon- Monster's Ball actually that was that was a pretty good movie wasn't it with um, Halle Berry I haven't seen Monster's Ball so I can't comment on it uh, I can't Lords of Dogtown, The Brothers Grimm, not exactly. Brothers Grimm is a really strange movie. Um, Gillian did it, I think, didn't he? I'd say really his best best work was The Dark Knight and Breakback Mountain. Yeah, uh, he, he. it's a shame. Obviously, it's a shame that he died. <laughs> but it's a shame that he kind of died just as he was coming into that upper echelon. Yeah. As an yeah. actor. Um because Brokeback Mountain was 2005, um, Dark Knight 2008. He was also in I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan um, mm. inspired movie. Uh, and then unfortunately he died. So, yeah, seemed like he was just kind of reaching that top tier. Uh, and then Liam Neeson, obviously, has been in a lot of very good, very high profile dramas. But when I think of Liam Neeson, I think of him as the soft spoken. Um, action star who's in Taken and then a load of rubbish. So, mm. I don't think what's, what's he been in? Liam Neeson's in the Schindler's List, obviously. Schindler's List, Michael Rob Collins. Roy, Mike, yeah, Michael Collins. Um, the Grey. In the, the Les Miserables, the 90s version. The, the 90s non musical version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Phantom Menace, obviously. Qui Gon Jin. 
that's uh, Gangs of New York. That was that was good. Uh, Love Actually, of course, where he played a. Uh, what was he in Love? Oh, he was the father of the weird little kid. Uh, of course, Batman Begins, very good. Taken, as you mentioned. I think I think Taken is legitimately very good. Um, I've not seen Taken. It, I, it, I think it's a shame that it's been so parodied. I think if you were to watch yeah. Taken today, you would see that you know you watch the. I I won't. I will come for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. It's a little bit silly, but I I think I watched Taken the year it came out, and it was like this very. It's almost um, the same feeling you get watching um, Halloween. Like I think we discussed this last week that a lot of those movies that would would in turn inspire further movies you go back and watch the first movie mm. that kind of spawned that genre and you say well it's kind of silly it's kind of um plain and taken has a little bit of that i think if you watch taken today it's kind of a silly mm. you know revenge movie but at the time taken was kind of a genre you know in and of itself and liam neeson it was like a different role for liam neeson but liam neeson is obviously now typecast as this soft-spoken yeah. bruce willis style action star Whereas yeah, back, then, he, back then he really wasn't doing those kind of movies. Yeah, he never did. He wasn't the action guy at all. No, he's, um, he's since done like A Team, Clash of the Titans, The Grey. The Grey is excellent, by the way, if you're not seeing The Grey. Um, uh, Taken Two. Yeah. Lego yeah. Movie, to be fair, I think he's very good in Lego uh, Movie. The Huntsman, Winter's War. Yeah. That was a narrator. The, the Commuter um, Unknown. We could go on and on. There's a few in there, but then. You come to Mr. Tom Hardy. Mr. Tom Hardy. You know, you're talking about some quality movies. Well, if we're talking about Tom Hardy, let me get my little bag of stars to hand out, because I think he's been in a few nines or tens that I've seen. Um, Obviously, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight uh, Rises. Mad Max Fury Road, which I think we all, you know, the Cheshire Podcast agree, five stars. Uh yeah, I would probably go. I think I think I gave Mad Max Fury Road an eight or nine when I saw it first. Because mm. I, I don't know why I saw it first and I felt like something's missing in there. Like it was great, but something's missing. And then the second time I watched it on Blu-ray, I was like, no, that's pretty perfect. <laughs> uh, Inception, obviously. Inception, all the Nolan, Dunkirk, all the Nolan yeah. films, Venom. Uh, Venom played both the Cray twins in Legend. Uh, it was in The Drop with uh, James Gandolfini. Yeah. It was in Lock, the, the one where he's in a car. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great description of that movie. Bloke in a car. He was in Tinker Tailor, uh, Soldier Spy, Warrior. Yeah, 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 yeah. Warrior. Yes, yeah, so Layer in, Cake, my favourite. He's in Taboo, which is a BBC One series, which I believe is very good. Series, yeah. Peaky yeah. Blinders. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a lot of good Not stuff. Lot of, good TV stuff, yeah, Band of Brothers as well. So yeah. I think of those three, uh, Tom Hardy edges it for me. And I feel like, um, obviously, with Heath Ledger passing away and uh, Liam Neeson only making shite for the last ten years, uh, I think Tom Hardy's probably going to churn out a lot more good movies, good performances. Yeah, I think Tom Hardy. Would would win it for me just based off the filmography alone, without not even taking into account my personal preference for him as an actor versus the other two. Yeah. Um. 
And I guess we can use that topic to segue into my little sorbet topic, right? Ooh. Because mm. I'm not going to say what, which movie I'm thinking of, right? But yeah. Tom Hardy, speaking of Tom Hardy, Liam Neeson, and Heath Ledger, one of them is in what I consider the best movie of the decade. And my topic is what do uh, we think are the best movies of the decade so far? <laughs> Ooh. So that's since movies. since and including January first, twenty ten. Best movies of the twenty tens. Yeah. Oh, um Ah, it's a tough one. Mm. It's hard to remember what's coming out. Well I tell you what. What I'll do is I will go to the list of best picture Oscar winners and give you those at least, and then I can Tell you some of my favourites that I've seen. Maybe that'll jog your memory. God, the, the Artist, remember that? I think The Artist is an excellent film, and is, is legitimately one of my favourite movies of the of ever. I don't know. The King's Speech, it's King's Speech in 2010. King's Speech? The King's Speech, with little Colin Firth. The King's Speech. King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, that rhymes. Don't be more spotlight. Don't be more moonlight. Shape of the water. Um, so the reason I bring this up is um, I started a project on Letterboxd probably six months ago to try and make a list of all the movies of the 2010s that I've seen in order. Now, it, it did prove to be too big uh, a job for me. Yeah, but um, I'll tell you. I'll count down maybe my top twenty-five movies that I've seen of the twenty tens, and obviously that that's a very personal list. And I've not seen a lot of movies that other people would consider some of the best ones. Um, or maybe I can go from maybe thirty down because even thirty twenty-six has got some quite good ones in it. Um, so at number thirty, I have uh, Godzilla, the twenty fourteen one which is one that I love. I know a lot of other people don't really care for. Uh, 29, Cabin in the Woods, which we just watched yeah, a couple baby. of weeks ago. Uh, 28, Spotlight, a movie that we both really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, 27, Django Unchained. 26, Locke, which we just discussed. Tom Hardy yeah. in a car. Uh, 25, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. 24, Anomalisa which is a Charlie Kaufman stop-motion movie, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, 23, Social Network, Fincher. Mm-hmm. 22, Logan, a film I consider the uh, best superhero film of them all. Mm. 21, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Uh, 20, Your Name, which is a Japanese sci-fi. 19, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which is a Japanese uh, animation which is extremely good. 18, okay. Nightcrawler, with yeah. our, our CSP favorite, Gyllenhaal. 17, Get Out. Fantastic horror from last year. Uh, 16, Her, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. 15, Moonlight. 14, The Artist, which we just discussed again. 13, Mother, from last year. 12, Whiplash, with J.K. Simmons. Uh the director Whiplash, by the way, has a new movie 
out. He he's made that um first man movie with uh Ryan Gosling. So mm. check that out. Um also the same director as La La Land. Uh eleven, Birdman. Now we're in the top ten. Ten prisoners. Um by my my boy Denis Villeneuve. Nine Spring Breakers with uh James Franco. <laughs> Eight mm. Mad Max Fury Road, which we just discussed. Yes. Seven Skyfall, James Bond's best James Bond film of them all. Yep. Uh, number six, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five, Ex Machina. Uh, number four, Arrival, Denis Villeneuve. And now we come to the top three. Number three, The Raid, one, mm. not two. Uh, number two, and this is the movie I was thinking about. I actually have number two, not number one, but close enough. Uh, Inception. Chris mm. And then number one, obviously, I have Nebraska, which I adore. But um, so there's some movies. Uh, just looking through the list, there's some other ones that maybe you can uh, take into account. The Babadook, Drive, Room, Black Swan, um, Stoker, Looper, Ansondi. Uh, the, 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 the Creed, End of Watch, Steve Jobs, Brooklyn, Enemy. Quite quite a few good movies out this this decade. So, Joe, what do you think has is the best movie that's come out since twenty ten? Mm, so I've just been kind of going going through and making a very impromptu list. Right. So I'll give you, I've got, oh, hang on, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, top 17. Go on. So I'll run through very, from the bottom. So one you haven't mentioned, documentary, OJ Made in America. Okay, um, I, I've not seen that one, but I've you know, only, only heard good things about it. Yeah, fan, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely love that. Uh, Nightcrawler, which you mentioned, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one you didn't mention, Philomena with um, Steve Coogan. I, I saw Philomena and I really liked it. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, Social Network, uh, pretty good. Drive, uh, I really like that. Uh, Room, uh, with your little fella and your woman. Uh, Tremblay, yeah. Yep. Whiplash, with the drumming. (laughs) Yeah. Not quite my tempo. Star Wars Force Awakens, uh, Arrival, of course. Uh, Her, Mm -hmm. I don't know, did you mention her? Yeah, number 16. You got her, okay, cool. Uh, Moneyball. Um, the Dark Knight Rises, which I, I know a lot of people prefer The Dark Knight. I really like The Dark Knight Rises, so that would be quite high for me. I tell you what, I I agree. I I know, I know a lot of people have big problems with Dark Knight Rises. I think it's really good. Yeah, and I like I, I like Tom Hardy in it. So, yeah, so I, I think he's that. great. I think great. <laughs> take that, everyone. Because yeah. weirdly, like I really loved 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 Batman Begins as well. That was my favorite of the three. Yeah. So in a weird way, The Dark Knight it was actually my least favorite of that trilogy. But uh, I well, I, I've had, I've had a was. long I've had a long time um, point of view that outside of Heath Ledger's performance, The Dark Knight mm. is kind of o- only okay. Um, mm. That's just me. Good point. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Skyfall, which I think is still the only James Bond movie I really love, like. Right. Um, out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which we discussed. Then, probably the two movies that I've watched the most um, of this decade, which is Spotlight, 
which you mentioned. Yeah. And the big short, which I've seen over and over and over again. Yeah, I think the big short is like your Nebraska, which is like a, yeah. a kind of unassuming movie that kind of you know gets praised, but maybe it's not in everybody's list, but just resonates with you for mm. some reason. Mm. And it's just that perfect movie at the perfect time. Yeah, you're right. And I, th- I would add The Cabin in the Woods, obviously. Uh, well, we do love The Cabin in the Woods. Kind of hammered that one at home. Um, yeah, so that's it. Out of that, it's, it's kind of hard. I don't think there's a movie in there that I would pick out as, like, a clear winner. Yeah. Um, or even, like, a few movies. It's, it's kind of... They're all really high-quality, good movies. I don't know if there's one that really kind of resonates me on a kind of with me on a on a higher level like a you know back to the future or goodfellas which mm. are all my all-time favorite movies um so I don't, I don't know if i'd pick like a sort of top three but that's like a phenomenal list you know i've got 19 films there yeah. which i'd happily watch you know at any time yeah i think it's been quite a good decade for movies to be fair um, it's been good you know in spite of all the abundance overabundance of the comic book stuff you know some of that was good, some of it not so good, but... Yeah, interestingly, I'm trying to see what's my highest-ranked comic book movie in here. Uh, I have Avengers at number 88. <laughs> and then Guardians of the Galaxy at 94. So, yeah, there you go. Um, worst movie of the decade, I have uh, Someone Marry Barry at number 304. Uh, which is a movie I only watched because I watched Paul, Joe, and I knew to find the movie that had Barry in it, and that was the closest thing. <laughs> it was dreadful. Okie dokie. So, do you want to pick the next one? Okay. Um, to stay on the film theme, um, my question is, if movies were released to stream at the same time as a cinematic release, would you still ever go to the cinema mm, that's a that's, good I mean, one that's, that's a bit of an extreme because obviously you probably would go at some point yeah. but you know what I mean like would you pretty much stop going to the cinema to see the latest releases and just go on very special occasions or does the kind of experience uh, kind of tr- triumph over the uh, convenience of watching it at home um, it's funny because when you ask the question my initial thought was no i mean of course i would still go of course i would still go mm. but actually in the seconds that kind of as the seconds passed i kind of came around on and said well would i really um i think for us going to the cinema is is like a day out it's almost um an upheaval we don't often go mm. to the cinema on a whim it's always something that's planned tickets are booked in advance and we go out and go um Whereas if films were released on streaming, even at the same price point, to be honest, um, mm. would we just stay in and watch a movie? I think we probably would do that. Unless we had some other reason to go out. Unless we were also going shopping or we were going to meet someone or that there was some secondary reason to it. Um, I think we'd probably stay in just purely because of the convenience of it and also the fact that almost without exception every time I go to the cinema I'm annoyed by someone on their phone or someone mm. kicking my seat or someone eating a cheesy nacho beside me 
Mm. And it just kind of eliminates a lot of that annoyance. Yeah, I feel like if the, is... I feel like if there was an option, I would watch a lot more movies as well. Like oh, I would, yeah. I would watch movies that I would otherwise not go out of my way to go to the cinema for. Oh yeah, definitely. Like Solo, for example, I couldn't be bothered going out to see that. But if it had been available to stream at the time, I'd have probably said, "Yeah, go on, I'll <clears throat> I'll pay a tenner to stream that the yeah. opening weekend or something." Um, but yeah, I think for me that obviously the point of the cinema is it's a night out and it's kind of there's a magic to it, kind of watching it on the really big screen with the the great sound and everything and sitting in the dark and it is it, quite a, a unique experience. Mm. Um, but a lot of the time you don't really get that. You know, for example, no, there aren't any kind of big multiplexes near me. Um, there's kind of an art, more sort of art house cinemas, which are very nice, but it's a smaller kind of screen. It's right. not the big deafening Dolby, you know, theater sound. Um, so you're not getting that kind of overwhelming experience that you would get if you went to like the IMAX or something like that. Uh, which is part of it. Well, we're also lucky here in the sense that we don't have a television in our house. We have a projector, which projects onto a big, whatever, 200-inch screen. So when we watch a movie here, we almost have that little personal cinema experience. Um, Mm. I mean, the one thing, obviously, the downside would be that I'm a big fan of the old large popcorn, large Coke at the cinema. Um... And I, I, and I do enjoy though the you know the cinema experience for the most part. I do like going for a double feature the odd time, making a day of it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're kind of moving in that direction though. Anyway, I feel like before long we are going to have the option to stream movies rather than going to the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like kind of an inevitability for me. Um. Yeah, I kind of. The more I think about it, the more I, I only see the positives and and not the negatives for that kind of thing. I mean, the and negative. Also, sorry, go on. I was just the negatives. Obviously, the the cinema business would then disappear. Um, yeah, another reason not to leave your house. But yeah, I mean, the cinema. Ultimately, the cinema is is a kind of an old fashioned thing anyway by today's standards, right? Yeah, I go to the theater. You go to the picture house to watch a picture yeah and um, I mean that that was kind of a thing because people didn't have televisions in their houses at the time yeah. <laughs> you know it was the thing you would go and see a movie a moving picture oh you could yeah you couldn't pick what to watch either you just kind of stuck with whatever was being broadcast yeah you go see a matinee oh my god the train has come right at us I'll tell you the other thing is as well obviously um with the cinemas, they're kind of desperate to, to fill seats and to make money, and they've got small margins. And so often you'll find they've got limited screens, obviously, and half of them will all be showing the biggest release that's out. They'll be showing the the, the Star Wars or the, the Marvel or whatever. Yeah. Um, so often the kind of smaller films um, don't get the screen time. They, they don't get the chance to... Um, you know, appear at the cinema. Whereas if you're obviously distributing, um, if you had a kind of cinema streaming service that was showing all the new releases, um, obviously you can choose to watch whatever you want. There's no kind of limitations on distribution. And not only that, but when when I'm coming home from work, um, let's say I finish work at five, Mm. Monday through Friday, my commute back is about 
an hour 50 an hour and a half so if i want to see a movie um the times that the movies are showing are very yeah um defining of whether i will see a movie or not so if there's a movie that's again a smaller one or um, for example, I watch all the Oscar movies every year. If there's an Oscar movie that's not necessarily a big release and it's only showing at five o'clock on a weekday, I can't see that movie. <laughs> Whereas if there's a streaming service, I know yeah. whatever time I get home, I can stick it on and watch it yeah. and give the 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 movie company the the money. You know, yeah. The, I, in fact, I, I'm kind of surprised that we don't already have a service that kind of offers that outside of obviously mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, Netflix that are kind of moving into that model yeah um yeah that would be that'd be really 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 handy and really something that i would i would invest in word an option mm. Mm. okay mm. Like well that we'll uh, see what happens with that one yeah. future of cinema <laughs> <laughs> in the old bin i think so yes 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 right okay you got a Another topic for us? I do. Um, this is my last non-wrestling one, so I guess since we're on the kind of a non-wrestling kick, we can yeah. use that one. Um, so the topic is, and you already mentioned Solo a couple of times, uh, for us to rank best to worst the <gasps> Star Wars films. Ooh. So they have... How many do we have now? Yes. Uh, one, two, three. We've got the eight mainline ones and then you have the two spin-offs mm. so do you want to start at the worst and work our way up or best and work our way down uh start with the worst okay well th- this is where there's a bit of contention because what i consider the worst star wars movie is not necessarily what a lot of other people do Oy. i think the worst star wars movie is episode two attack of the clones yeah yeah a lot of people go straight to Phantom Menace. A lot of people go straight yeah. to Phantom Menace. I rewatched Phantom Menace about two years ago with the Red Letter Media commentary. And the Phantom Menace has got some bits in it that are good, to give it some credit. Mm. It's a very boring film. I don't know what they're thinking with the whole Trade Federation plot. It's it's extremely dull. The characters are extremely dull. Um, however, the, the final lightsaber fight with, um, Darth Maul, Qui-Gon, and, um, Ewan McGregor, (laughs) Obi-Wan, is, is kind of, it's not over the top in the way that a lot of the stuff in, in the, that prequel trilogy was, where you have like Yoda flipping around, fighting Count Dooku. That first one in episode one was done in a kind of uh, uh, acrobatic yet kind of restrained way. Um, that it kind of felt that way that that's how, you know, younger Jedis would fight. In fact, sometimes I, when I'm watching the original Star Wars and I see um, Alec Guinness barely mobile clicking a a plastic sword against Darth Vader's sword it's kind of a little bit cringy it's a little too unimpressive whereas when I watched that episode 1 Phantom Menace one that to me feels like that's what Jedi should look like when they're fighting Um, obviously they went way over the top as the prequel trilogy um, continued but episode 2 Attack of the Clones has that's where it introduces the whole um 
Anakin uh, Queen Amidala romance I've, I don't think I've ever seen a film where the two romantic leads had such little chemistry um, mm. the dialogue is just dreadful um, the plot is dreadful the characters they introduce are all terrible um, so whereas whereas episode episode one did do th- some things right like that last battle the pod race I think is actually a, a fun exciting set piece in the middle of the movie I think the the score is is really good episode two really doesn't have a lot of a lot of good things to it and episode two is also the movie where like 90% of the sets are just green screen so it has this really fake feel to it mm-hmm. um, and it's just people looking out looking out windows for the longest time so they could show off the mad CGI towns and CGI cityscapes yeah um, so I would I would say and you're in agreement then number 10 is episode 2 Attack of the Clones yeah I'll give you that because it's just more boring it's really really I mean, boring and that's what yeah. a Star Wars movie shouldn't be is boring yeah the first one was shite but slightly more interesting like at least Darth, you had Darth Maul as well. He wasn't a great character, but at least he looked cool. <laughs> Darth Maul had that Boba Fett thing. That yeah, he wasn't a good character, but he looked cool at least. Yeah, and I, I don't think um, Liam Neeson was that bad. No, uh, and really? he was fine. He didn't have a lot, you know. Didn't give him much of a personality. But he did all right. Yeah, yeah. I'll go, I'll go uh, Attack of the Clones. Worst Star Wars. All right, movie. that's number ten. Number nine. Even though I've just pointed out all the good things about it, I've number nine, The Phantom Menace, because <laughs> it's still yeah. shite, I'm afraid. Yeah, ultimately, still bollocks, BB. Ultimately, still not good. Um, the the whole Anakin Skywalker thing in episode one is is mm. one one of my little pet peeves about about movies where they have uh, a kid cast at the center of it who's really annoying. Mm. And there are movies with children where the, the kids are good in it, but um, Jake Lloyd in episode one is very lame and is not very cool. Mm. And almost undermines Darth, what, Darth Vader a little bit. I, I guess the idea was that he, you know, all kids are innocent and then become um, bad through experience later on, but they kind of went a bit over the top with it. It's working! Um, he was really, really annoying. And yeah, that yeah. movie is a mess, and the plot is really boring, and and kind of incomprehensible at some points. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna stick, stick that at number nine then. Uh, number eight, um, not to be kind of what's even the word um, predictable, but uh, number eight for me is the third of the <laughs> prequel trilogy. Revenge of the yep. Sith. Yep. Um, I think it's definitely the best of them. I would even go as far as to say it's not really a bad film. Yeah. Um, I I I, only, I think I never saw it once, but um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. It had some kind of good to it, but then on the other hand, it kind of tried too hard to be epic, and uh, it, it just kind of fell flat. It definitely yeah, it, felt very. Um. Like it was, it was trying too hard to be the, like you say, the epic link between episode two and episode mm-hmm. four, um, and yeah, I, I, I've seen it at least two or three times, 
Um, and yet I don't have that many memories of it. I feel like I've only seen it once. I remember I saw it in cinema and then like a couple of days later I went out on a school trip to the cinema and lo and behold I saw Revenge of the Sith again, which I had just seen. Um, yeah, I don't remember too much about it. Obviously the fight at the end on the lava planet. Um, a little, yeah. little burned Anakin. And I think it, it's also obviously the problem in the first two films where the Anakin character is just a wet blanket. Like it, There's nothing to get me invested in there. So when you get to the final climax and he's being chopped up and everything, it's sort of... Yeah, who cares? It's really? interesting because what they're doing now with Kylo Ren almost seems like it should have been the arc for the Anakin character. Yeah. That, there's a little bit more conflict to it. He's a little bit more it's of a meaty character. More complex, yeah. yeah. Anakin was just, just a bit of a whinger, wasn't he? <laughs> just a knob. Just a bit of a knob. Um, so the prequel trilogy, anyway, make up the bottom three, for sure. Yeah. Right, then we get to number seven. Mm. So this is where we might start to diverge a little bit. It's gets a bit tougher, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of between Solo and Rogue One. I'm trying to put, I think I'd probably of the two go Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One does does some good like like um the movies we discussed previously. Rogue One does have some good bits to it. To be fair, I think the um the last half an hour in particular is. Is really good and is kind of um, is kind of symptomatic of its director in that it Rogue One is directed by um, Gareth Edwards who did um, the Godzilla twenty fourteen Godzilla mm-hmm. which I, I'm a really big mm-hmm. fan of but it has mm-hmm. it kind of succeeds and fails in a lot of the same ways um, the action is like really well shot I I always when I think of Rogue One I always have the, that shot in my in my mind of the the Death Star overlooking, like on the horizon, the battle scene. And I just think that's like a really fantastic shot. You have then the walkers coming out of like the fog. There's a lot of really great looking, um, like action scenes, war scenes. Um, however, uh, all of the characters, without exception, are dull as dishwater. Boring. <laughs> and this is my point: is that Star Wars. Um, succeeds on the likability of its characters. That's why the older movies are so well-renowned is because Luke, although Luke, you can maybe say, is on the fence a little bit, Leia, Han, Chewie, R2, C-3PO are all like likable characters that you get behind and you want to succeed and come on, let's beat the Empire. Um, in Rogue One, all the, all the, all the heroes are kind of a little bit emo, a little bit anti-hero. Um, they're they're not fun. They don't have fun quips. They're just kind of there. Boring. Yeah, it. it um, I fell asleep during Rogue One. Not afraid to admit it. I was because I was tired, not because I um found the movie that boring, but um. Yeah, about halfway through, I was just—I just found myself kind of drifting off. I was like, I, I don't really care about the characters and what they're what they're going through, and especially the kind of middle third of it. I just found interminable. Um, where there's the bit with like Mads Mikkelsen, and they're—I—I I just didn't really didn't really care about any of it. 
which is a shame because I think there's some good stuff in there. I think um, Ben Mendelsohn is is good as the kind of um, Imperial Admiral. Um, I think the robot, which was played by, I forget the actor's name from Dodgeball. I thought he was funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's really dull. It's really dull, and until you get to the end, and but but half an hour does not a good movie make. So uh, I stick Rogue One at number seven, and I, I know a lot of people really, really, really like Rogue One, but it's because it's, it's all serious and gritty, and it's a real war movie. It's like um, boring. <laughs> it's like the it's like the Harry Potter movies that they they would get progressively. <laughs> this this is the darkest one ever. It's like well, I kind of don't want a really dark Harry Potter movie. I want to, yeah, I want a movie about wizards and yeah, orcs and orcs and ooh, ten points to Gryffindor. I don't want it to be super, super, super dark. It's not what I want Star Wars to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at number six, I'll go with Solo. Ooh. I'm going to divert you. Okay. I'm going to go The Last Jedi. Okie dokie. So let's talk about The Last Jedi. First, and number four. Obviously, Um, the most polarizing of maybe the ten Star Wars movies. Controversial Star Wars movie of all time. (sighs) Yeah, I didn't like it when I first saw it at the cinema. Rewatched it recently and actually enjoyed it quite a bit more once I got over the fact that it didn't do anything that I expected. Yeah. So I think that was the whole thing. I don't know if you've seen the Plinkett review of The Last Jedi. I've um, seen it. I've seen it. Again, they talk about um, the fact that it almost kind of subverts all of our expectations to the point where it becomes predictable because it's just, it, it, there's there's no point doing that just for the sake of it. Mm. You know, there's no lightsaber battles. The, you know, Ray is, doesn't, isn't, you know, Obi-Wan's daughter or blah, 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 blah whatever. All of these kind of things that were seemingly set up in The Force Awakens and then just kind of brushed away, but I kind of felt that it didn't really give us anything in the place of those things. Mm-hmm. It didn't give us interesting turns in the other direction. It was just kind of like, nope, that's not a thing. Nope, that's not a thing. Nope, that's not a thing. Boop, boop, boop. And, and, and then it kind of left you thinking, well, what's going to happen in, in episode nine? You know, what what's to come, really? There's no... There's no kind of, I don't know, there's no cliffhanger, there's no stakes, it doesn't feel like. Um, add to that the fact that you had a lot of boring shit in it, like all the the, the whole kind of Rose and Finn story, sub, subplot, which was laughably bad. Um, the fact that the main plot was this kind of chase, which was also quite boring. Um, Luke and Ray stuff was quite good. Um, but other than that, not a lot in it for me. Look at thinking back. Okay, well, on I I'll save my other side of the coin discussion for Last Jedi to come for it in a little bit then. Because I, I I'm a Last Jedi apologist oh. <laughs> or defender, let's say. Oh, I I I quite like the Last Jedi. We'll get that in a bit. Solo um is a funny one because I I I saw recently. And I don't think there are that many flaws that come to my mind mm. right away when talking about Solo, aside from the fact that it's just kind of 
not that memorable and kind of okay. I even like um, the majority of performances in it. I like um, Gam- Charles Gambino, whatever his real name is, Donald Glover. I like him as Lando. I think he's got a good swagger, good charisma for the mm-hmm. character. I like um, Alden Ehrenreich, whatever his name is, as Solo. I think he's a good Solo, if a little mm-hmm. bit. Maybe doesn't have the same kind of charm, uh, roguish charm as as Hans as um, Han Solo. He is Han Solo, Harrison Ford. Um, obviously, we discussed that uh, that Game of Thrones lady is rubbish in everything, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, I just find I just think it's it's kind of disjointed, I guess, in mm. that some of the bigger set pieces happen kind of in the middle of the movie, like the train set piece comes to mind right yeah. away. Um, and then obviously all the stuff we discussed in recent weeks about how it's 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 just Han Solo's life in one adventure and it's a little bit a little bit annoying that it's That's silly. Yeah, it, it's very fan servicey in in a in a bad way, which is a shame. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean it's a it's a fair heist movie, I suppose, without being a very good one. Mm. Um I guess that's kinda of why I would have it so low on my list is that I think the other five movies all have better aspects going for them even though some of them some of the other ones have failings as well i just think solo solo's maybe a better all-rounder as a movie but never reaches the heights of any of the other ones um and 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 i guess it also felt very unnecessary as a movie <laughs> it was very supplementary yeah. feeling um almost to the point of it like i i would say if this was 20 years ago solo would very maybe end up being a TV movie as opposed to being mm. a theatrical movie. It has that kind of feel mm-hmm. to it. Um, so that's... Yeah, like so James, James Bond Jr. or Indiana it, Jones it's, Jr. Yeah, it's almost a James Bond Jr. of the Star Wars movie. It, it almost feels like the um, the black sheep of the, the 10. Whereas Rogue One, okay, Rogue One is not particularly good but but feels like a Star Wars movie. Solo doesn't. And I guess in some in some ways that's a, bene- that's a positive that it, it doesn't have... Um, lightsabers in it. it doesn't have a lot of the tropes that make the Star Wars movies all kind of feel the same but mm. uh, sometimes that comfort food is is necessary in a franchise um, and if you don't have those things you have to do something else exceptional and Solo really doesn't mm. Mm. Uh, so 6 for me Solo 6 for Joe is The Last Jedi number 5 then Solo Solo <laughs> <laughs> yeah which reviewed uh, as it last week or the week before so yeah I, I enjoyed it it was better than i expected i think points you made yeah the, the fan service stuff was very annoying um but other than that i quite like the characters i quite like the, the climax um yeah kind of solid that's yeah it's in the middle there for me because it's it's good but not great yeah i don't think it's a movie that has a lot of particularly bad aspects to it it's just kind mm. of okay i guess Mm. I, like we, we we spoke about the drop earlier with um, Galafini and Tom Hardy I think that was another movie I'd put in that category a movie I came out and went well I couldn't point out to you that was bad that was bad that was bad it just kind of didn't yeah. do anything for didn't me it all add up to yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to put number 5 Return of the Jedi ooh ooh hang on I've just lost my list I've written all down um, wait hang on so you're Okay, five for me solo, five for you, Return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, and here's my bad aspects of Return of the Jedi, although five is in the top half, I suppose. 
Return of the Jedi is a movie that I think has um, an excellent first half hour. I like. I love all the Jabba's palace stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much the moment they fly away from Jabba's palace is where the movie starts going downhill for me. Um, because I I feel like Star Wars when it's at its best is that like old eighties fantasy movie along the lines of like a labyrinth, um, a willow. Mm-hmm. Like I love all that stuff. That's that's for me when Star Wars like the first one, Empire Strikes Back, are at their best. And Jabba's palace is very much that. It's it's cool monster designs. It's rescue of a beloved character from adversity. Um, and I I even like the Ewoks to be honest. I think all the stuff on Endor is super boring. Um, Han Solo has like no character in Return of the Jedi once he gets yeah. rescued. They should have killed him off in Empire, to be honest, because he doesn't do anything in Return of the Jedi. He's just a faceless general. You could have had Lando do that character. There's no need mm. for him to be in it. Mm. And he's obviously, Harrison Ford is obviously miserable doing it. He does not give a shite. <laughs> um, he's, he's Shawn Michaels against Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam 2005. He he's just doing what he does and he gets gets his money. Um to be fair, I like the Luke Emperor stuff. But um Yeah. I feel like they kind of had already done the big Luke Darth Vader face off in Empire anyway. That yeah. this one just felt like well Luke and the Emperor don't really have any personal animosity, it's just kinda because one's good, one's bad. That's why they don't like each other, I suppose. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, Return of Jedi is obviously very good. I, I don't dislike it. I just feel like a, a lot of it is not very good. Um, particularly mm. the Endor stuff. Um, that's why I have it at, at number five. Uh, so five for me, Return of Jedi. Five for Joe Solo. Four, I have The Last Jedi. Okay, number four for me, uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. Um, so I I still do quite like it, and I love a lot of Star Wars fans. I think it's really weird. And it is, obviously, the worst of the original trilogy. Um, I still think it's quite a fun movie, though. And it's almost... It is quite inconsequential and a little bit... It's time-fillery. <laughs> um, as you say, once they get to Endor, it kind of feels like it's not a whole lot going on. Um, and the stakes are really with the Emperor and Luke and Vader and that kind of thing. Um, but it was a nice kind of way to round off the series, if a bit sort of boring and mundane. So that's why I'd kind of put it in there. Similar, kind of similar to Solo, and I enjoyed it, but it's not a, a sort of standout. Here's my favorite bad bit of Return of Jedi, right? Speaking of like one of your criticisms about The Last Jedi, uh, and, mm. and, and not a bad, a, a correct criticism, is that it doesn't seem to set up anything for the third movie. It kind of. Yeah retcons a lot of the stuff they're set up in Force Awakens but in Empire Strikes Back right when you talk about character motivations leading the story right you have Mm. Luke is the brash young Jedi who sees gets a vision of of Obi-Wan who tells him go to the Dagobah system find Yoda this this Jedi master and he'll teach you how to Mm -hmm. become a Jedi Luke goes off on his own to Dagobah and he meets this little frog man who um because he's this this brash egotistical guy he 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 doesn't even consider for a second that yoda is the master right and yoda is like eating luke's sausage and luke's hey this is my dinner my my sausage and then he's fighting with r2d2 he's this crazy old man 
and he goes to he goes to Yoda's house. He's eating his horrible soup. He's like, <laughs> looks real impatient. He's like, when are we going to meet Yoda? When can we go? And Yoda and 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 the lesson is that you know Luke didn't not re- ready. Not ready. And 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 Luke learns a lesson, you know. And then and then he's training with Yoda. And learning to be a Jedi, and he's getting frustrated. He can't lift the X-wing. He can't keep. He's not doing a handstand, and he falls down. And he's like, he can't do it. And then Yoda shows him that it's not all about you know how big you are, how strong you are. He lifts the X-wing yeah. out of the out of the water, and 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 even after these demonstrations, even after all the lessons he's learned, Yoda says, "You're not ready." And Luke still, because he's this um, headstrong, stubborn guy, he still leaves Yoda. Um, to go to go save his friends, which obviously leads to mm-hmm. all the bad things that happen at the end of Empire. So Yoda's right the whole time, and I love that story. I love the the way that um Luke kind of repeatedly makes his mistakes because that that's how he ultimately learns from them. Um, what I <laughs> my favorite bad bit in in Return of the Jedi is after all that excellent stuff happens in Empire Strikes Back. Right, Luke goes back to Yoda to finish his training, and Yoda goes. Mm, actually you're all right and then yoda just dies and there's no <laughs> there's no point to him going back to see yoda at the end there's no payoff to that story there's no culmination to it off yoda. yoda just goes oh, i die you're grand oh, <laughs> i think he goes something like oh i sleep now and he just gets into his little bed and disappears <laughs> and it's it's like night and day compared to Empire, the, that whole set piece. Mm-hmm. And then he, then, then he just meets Obi-Wan and sits on a log and chats to him for five minutes. And it's like, it's as if, like with Last Jedi and, and the upcoming episode nine, it's like it's like they're written by two completely different people. That whoever wrote Empire, I, I, I actually don't know. if I would need to look up who wrote. I know Lawrence Kasdan did Empire and someone else directed Return of Jedi. But it's like... It's like they did all the setup in Empire, and the person who did Return of Jedi was like, "Oh, I didn't get that old Yoda thing. Let's just fucking write that off." <laughs> go back and if if people haven't seen Return of, Je- Return of Jedi in a long time, go back and watch that Yoda scene. How quickly that whole thing is written off, and said, "Ah, oh, fuck, don't worry about Yoda. It's this old crazy coot." Mm. Um, and this is where it comes to Last Jedi: is that um, understand that where I put Last Jedi does have an asterisk to it because I feel like. How Last Jedi is looked back on depends a lot on how well received Episode Nine will be. Mm, okay. Um, however, looking at Last Jedi on its own merit, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like, in particular, the the storyline about the um, escape uh, from the Star Destroyer of the Rebels is one that will be looked back on fondly, and maybe one that wasn't appreciated enough at the time. Um, and again, because it's kind of the least Star Wars, the least classically Star Wars, where the rebels are are in their ship slowly evading, just just out of reach of the Star Destroyer. Um, and I I really really like that. I really really like the Luke, um, Ray stuff. Um, yeah. I thought Mark Hamill was excellent, and I know Mark Hamill himself wasn't a big fan of the direction they went, but I thought he was great in it. Um. It's funny as well because the first time I saw Last Jedi and Ray gives him the lightsaber and he kind of throws it behind his shoulder, 
it, it it felt really to me like it was played for comedy and i thought that was like a really strange choice and then the mm. second time i saw it, it it didn't feel like it was for comedy at all it was just more that luke was being dismi- dismissive of it yeah and um like he's like oh, this is a, a life that i i don't look into anymore you know and um I actually really liked the direction they went in. Even though Hamill himself didn't, I, I really quite liked it. Um, I guess in part because it was so different to what we'd seen before and, and I was kind of aching for Star Wars to take a new direction and not just mm. to retread the steps that had taken in the past with Empire. And I mean, one criticism that Force Awakens had was that it was very similar to the original Star Wars, which it was, to be fair. But um, I think it was time for Star Wars to take a right turn to do something different and not have Rey be the daughter of someone and not have now fair enough I know a lot of people disappointed and, and even myself I was a little bit disappointed that they kind of in it was kind of throwaway in what they did oh yeah you're just nobody mm-hmm. oh, move on uh, fair enough that was a little disappointed there wasn't any real reason to why that was brought up in the first place or, or anything like that Um, but again I kind of appreciated the fact that it wasn't just the same kind of twists as, as the first movie um However, I'm, I'm uh, there, there. There is stuff, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's perfect by any means. I, the first time I saw it, I really didn't care at all for the Finn Rose stuff. I've kind of come around on it a little bit, but still, I don't love it. Um, uh. But it did leave me curious as as to where they go with Episode Nine. Um, so I guess we will see. Um, number three, then I have Force Awakens. Yeah, same. Um, I loved it. It was everything I wanted it to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, as you said, a lot of people say it was too similar to the previous, or the original trilogy, um, which, I, I mean, it's true, but then, that's you know, like we were saying with Rogue One and the Harry Potter stuff, we want Star Wars to be Star Warsy, Like... Yeah. Although it, it maybe was too close of a, a retread to um, A New Hope, it, it was it hit that Star Wars tone perfectly to me. The kind of blend of the comedy, the action, the character, and everything. Yeah. I think I think it, the it, character it, specifically yeah. was the biggest like success of it. Is that it introduced these new characters completely effortlessly, like seamlessly introduced them and and put them in this universe. Mm-hmm. Ray, Finn, Poe, um, Kylo Ren. BB-8, mm. perfect. Like they, they were, they were perfectly introduced and yeah. likable, um, charismatic, great chemistry. And yeah, and the test for me is that if if they did another trilogy, say in ten years, uh, obviously they're going to do about five by then. But if they did, say they brought it back in ten years in a trilogy, and they brought out uh, John Boyega as Finn, like I'd go fucking nuts. I'd be yeah. like, ah, it's Finn, it's Finn, you Finn's know, back. That, in the same way they're bringing back out kind of Yoda or Lando um, get the same reaction now well this is one thing that I like about the new trilogy is that like Han Solo was back for the first one spoilers um, was killed off Luke's back for the second one I guess killed off although we'll see where that goes because um, I, I feel like they can't rely too much on the past um, stars in the way that WWE kind of is guilty of hmm. Uh, Undertaker and Triple H versus Kane and the Undertaker at Saudi Arabia. Um, and yeah, just to, to go back to Last Jedi a little bit for a second, one thing I really didn't like about it was the um, 
the Snoke stuff. Because that, mm. that felt like... And, and, and to be fair, I didn't like it in Force Awakens when they set up again, there is an Emperor uh, in charge of it all. and um, But that, that they killed him off in such kind of a throwaway... Again, a throwaway... Uh, fuck this stupid character. Just kill him. Um, so I guess, I mean, Force Awakens does have some aspects that are, in my mind, too close to the original trilogy that it, it, in a less satisfactory way, but... I love the journey they went on. I loved all the new characters they introduced, and uh, I've I've seen it like five times <laughs> since it came out. I, I mm. love it. I love it. And uh, number two, Star Wars, the first one, mm. A New Hope. See, oh, we're gonna diverge on one and two. I've gone for Empire Strikes Back at number two. Hmm. Oh, I I respect it. I respect oh, it. Mr. Contrarian. Everyone likes Empire, so I put in number two. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I both are fantastic. So for me, it's hard to kind of to pick one. Yeah. But I would say I just put I put the New Hope at number one because I just feel because it was the original movie. Yeah. It just had that magic about it. It's the same with any first movie in a franchise or a series. The first one has that magic that you then can't necessarily recreate in the sequels. Sure. Obviously, you can go in different directions and kind of play off it, and that can do really good things. Yeah. But there's something about you know being introduced to the characters for the first time, going on that journey for the first time. You know, learning all the things that you learn. Um, you've got, you know, Obi-Wan's in it a lot, and obviously Alec Guinness is fantastic, and I love the whole kind of, you know, the mentor, um, sort of, you know, sorcerer and apprentice thing uh, works really, really well. You, you know, Darth Vader is kind of fantastic in that movie. You know, you meet Han Solo, and he's still the kind of arrogant sort of, you know, cocksure pilot before he becomes kind of the, you know, slightly goody goody guy in the in the mm. sec- second and third ones so yeah it's the kind of purest star wars because the first one so that's that's why i edged it but really i wouldn't be able to separate the two of those two i think they're clearly the best two yeah i mean the only problem i might have with the original star wars is with with the pacing of it in that um when they escaped the, the death star and Alec, mm. uh, I was going to say Alec Guinness again. Obi Wan gets um, killed by Darth Vader. It almost feels like that's the climax of the movie, and then it goes on for another thirty minutes, and obviously has a second climax where they they blow up the Death Star. Yeah. Um, yeah. like that that Death Star portion, um, obviously takes up the bulk of the movie, um, and I feel like between Obi Wan dying and them attacking again the Death Star, there's maybe a five minute, ten minute. Maybe only five minutes. Maybe it's not even that long, but a little lull in the movie. Like I'm, I'm being very, very nitpicky here. I'm being very, very pedantic because for me, it's a ten out of ten. But it's got a little bit of a nothingy happening, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas if it maybe built, 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 built in a bit more of an even way, maybe it would be even better. Um, to me, Empire is is. Um, comfortably the best one I think by a distance I would say mm. um, I think it's super efficient with with its time um, yep. all the threads are ex- perfectly done 
Um, I talked for, for five minutes about just the Yoda storyline, about why it works and why it's so perfect. Um, mm. Even with the character design, let's say. I love the, the opening at Hoth and the attack on the base and the escape. Yep. I love the Cloud City stuff, the betrayal by Lando and the the capture of um, Han Solo, the, the Luke-Darth Vader um, confrontation. Obviously, with the um, "I am your father" moment. I mean, when when I think of all my favorite Star Wars, Star Wars moments, a lot of them fall in in Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Um, and like I said, a, a lot of the character designs, a lot of the um, a lot of the best character moments are in Empire. I love you. I mm. know. Um, I am your father. That's my that's my sausage Yoda. <laughs> yeah. They're all Empire. I think Empire is um, whatever about how you feel about them emotionally and so on. I think I think Empire is like objectively the best made one. And uh, uh, yeah, Lawrence Kasdan did a hell of a job with it. It's it's really really fantastic. And it's funny. Um, it doesn't make me dislike Star Wars really at all. But if you watch the deleted scenes from Star Wars, have you ever yeah. watched the deleted scenes? Um, what from the first movie? From the first movie. Uh, no, I don't they're, so. they're awful. It's it's <laughs> it's it's truly a film that was saved in editing. If you watch those deleted scenes, you'll go, "What? What is this? What is this weird alternate universe Star Wars?" There's like a whole a whole scene about Luke meeting his friends, and it's like, I don't even know what it is. Like something out of some seventies sitcom or something. It's horrible. Um, really strange. D- don't ever watch. Them. <laughs> <laughs> go out of your way not to watch them um, yeah well there we go there's um, do you want to talk a little bit more about Star Wars why it's the best one uh, no <laughs> I do love when the sun, the Jawas electrocute R2-D2 and he goes oh sand people they'll be back in bigger numbers they always walk single file to hide their numbers and I, I, at the same time, I do feel like a lot of stuff that I quote in my day-to-day life is from the first one. Mm. A lot of the more mundane quotes. <laughs> You're a little smile for a stormtrooper. Uh, so there you go. Star Wars, okay. ranked. Um, right, I've got another little sorbet topic for us. Go for it. Quick one. Would you rather live without chips or burgers? Oh. If you can only pick one. Well, that's a Sophie's choice for me, Joe. I know. Do you want to I guess know. what I had for dinner today? Burger. And? Chips. Correct. Yeah. Oh, God. If I had to I live had to without up. burgers or chips, what would I give up? Chips. I think I might have to give up burgers. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like chips are <clears throat> chips are more of a utility food. Burgers, I'll eat if I'm in the mood for a burger. But I could easily have... Um, Sausages. I could have some uh, chicken fillets. I could have some uh, steak. Um, chips are just the the side. Chips are go- is what I have that goes with whatever I'm really having. Do you know? Um, yeah. Because you can have chips with X, chips with Y, chips with Z. Whereas burgers, like I wouldn't have burgers every day obviously i do love a burger and um yeah i would say that i like burgers more than i like chips but 
to give up uh, chips. You're you're really severely limiting my uh, what I'm eating with my with my meats. I I guess I mean I can have some veggies instead, but I do like a little. I do like chips with my mm. food, to be honest. Um, yourself, what would you give up? I uh, yeah, I'd go with chips definitely. Um, I love love chips. <laughs> I love crisps. Just potatoes generally are bloody brilliant. Yeah. Um, I do like a burger, but sometimes I uh, like really kind of thick beef burgers. They're not really my thing. I like quite a sort of thin right. uh, patty, like a kind of McDonald's burger. I don't like you really. Well, I don't know. Actually, sometimes you get a very nice one. I did have I did have a Bunsen burger before OTT yesterday. It was extremely yeah. good. I must yeah. Admit. So I do like the kind of really nice burgers. But yeah, I think I could, you know, I could have chicken and chips. Could have uh, steak and chips, mm-hmm. uh, fish and chips, just just chips. Yeah, you know, there's so many so many situations where I would love to have some chips, whereas I feel like a burger I could I could live without really. Yeah, I think there's more substitutes for burgers than there are for chips that are nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. I could like the other day I had um, I had two chicken fillets with carrots, celery, kale. And green pepper. And that was nice. Mm. It's not chips though. You know what I mean? Like if I'm if I have sausages instead of chips, I don't feel like oh this is a meal that I'm only having to be healthy. I, is, it's, yeah. a, it's a direct substitute. Really? Whereas chips if yeah. you don't have chips, I'm often thinking I could be having chips right now. <laughs> yeah, and I'd even have like, you know, if I was having like chili. Yeah. Chili and chips. There you go. If I was having curry. Curry and chips. You yeah. know what I mean? Stick chips with anything. It works. There you go. Chips are good. Um, uh, I've got um, one topic left. Go for it. You got... what? How many have you got? I've got... Uh, I've got three left, but we won't do them all. Three? Yeah. What I, have you got? Um, they're all wrestling. I've only got one. I've got a wrestling one. Go for it. Um, we'll do your one, and then I'll pick one, one of my three, and we'll, we'll finish off with that. Okay, cool. So my one is controversial topic. Should WWE go to Saudi Arabia to host events? Mm. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. In light of what's going to happen this week with uh, Saudi Arabia allegedly murdering a journalist in an embassy. Well, a consulate. Not an embassy. Oh, sorry. To to be pedantic about it uh, uh. <laughs> okay a consulate um, obviously the, the debate is with the way Saudi Arabia say treats women for example yeah um, and the fact that women aren't allowed to perform on the show is it fair you know would they go somewhere that wouldn't allow the black performers to appear on the show right you know should they I don't think they would and in a way, not allowing the female performers on the show is it's, it's, it's horrendous. And it's really them selling out against you know all these values. They it's not only horrendous, but it's directly um, against what they otherwise promote, which is... Yeah, absolutely contradictory. It's uh, contradictory is the word I was looking for, yeah. So and it and kind of exposes all of this, you know, reinventing women's wrestling as a, as a sham, really. Yeah. Um, and of course, then there's the 
I think really the worst thing is it's not just they go to Saudi Arabia, but then to kind of um, spew out the propaganda um, that the, the Saudis ask them to is it's pretty pathetic. I mean, it's one thing to go and run a show, but to kind of promote the, um, you know, essentially a dictator of Saudi Arabia, the king or whoever, it, or prince, crown mm. prince. Um, it's horrendous. I mean, we know obviously they have no morals, no kind of scruples. But is is this going too far? Mm, it's interesting because I kind of when I think about the answer to the question of should WWE go to Saudi Arabia, I don't even really consider this week's news as part of my thinking on it mm. with the alleged assassination of this journalist. Um, um, duh, 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 duh. yeah, without getting too uh, in the weeds with the let's say PC culture gone mad and that line of thinking on it um, with WWE when you promote shows in Saudi Arabia to the extent that they do as you just mentioned with um, the videos about Saudi Arabia and how progressive it's becoming you kind of put out publicly although you don't say explicitly the, the message that they send out is that they um they promote Saudi Arabia and, and the values, the core mm. values that come along with that. So when you, um, like, it, it, they're not really only promoting um, a show. It seems like it's it's a promotional tool for Saudi Arabia, and that's what Saudi, the Saudi Arabians are paying for, mm. obviously. In the same way that um, football teams are sponsored by, like, the Qatar Tourism Board, like Paris Saint-Germain famously, Mm. are are like in part sponsored like very very um transparently are like run by Qatar and the Qatar tourism board and um again when you when you have that kind of arrangement when you have that agreement you, WWE are again not explicitly but are putting forward the message that we um approve it's like doing a retweet in a way we approve mm. The, the the values of Saudi Arabia. And again, that is contradictory to what WWE themselves put forward as being important when in America. The 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 um promotion of the women as equals to the men, yada yada yada. Um whereas if they went to Saudi Arabia and it was just another show and it wasn't this big um event and it wasn't showing videos about look, women can drive now in Saudi Arabia. Um I feel like it would be much a much less of a big deal. Um, mm. It wouldn't be the big conversation topic. And not only that, but you have, um, in this case, like Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement for it. Mm. Um, and you had, um, last time, the, the, the greatest Royal Rumble, the biggest Royal Rumble ever. Mm. Um, the problem is it all feels kind of phony and in fact what i'm going to do here is i'm going to take one of my topics and i'm going to merge it with your one okay Ooh, here we go completely um organically right my, one of my topics was why do fans resent the wwe pr movement okay um because wwe now um are not only a wrestling company but often throughout the year have these 
PR um, strategies or PR, um, uh, let's say, projects that they put forward on, on WTV. So obviously, mo- most recently, um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Susan, Susan G. Coleman, um, mm-hmm. which, okay, like, I'm, I'm not saying that breast cancer awareness is this bad thing. And yet, when I'm watching a WWE show and they have the pink rope and they have women come down during the show and they give them belts, I get kind of annoyed by it. Why is that? Why do fans immediately resent the the PR side of WWE's business, the the charity, the Connor's Cure? Again, Connor's Cure is another one, right? Connor's Cure is this um, admirable thing that they do. They have this charity against pediatric, pe- uh, pediatric cancer, right? called Connor's mm. Cure and you can buy little merchant little um, pins with a little belt um, for Connor Michalek was that the kid's name yeah Connor the Crusher from, from years ago He's, he was put in the Hall of Fame the Warrior Award he was the first one I think and they have, when I watch NXT every week I, they have these ads with the kids going I'm, I'm whatever the wrestler and blah 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 and again a lot of fans and to be honest, myself included, when I see that ad, there's a part of me that says, okay, that's an admirable thing that they do. That, that's a great thing they do. But at the same time, it's kind of annoying that they do it because they're so in your face about it. It's every week. Blah, 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 blah. Now, part of me says, well, of course, they're, they're doing a charity. They have to promote it so that the charity will get money. But and this is my, my problem with this is um, this all goes back to that one interview Stephanie McMahon did what well, must be a decade ago now where she said mm. um, philanthropy is the new marketing. Like that one sentence really mm. etched in stone that when I watch um, Alicia Fox give uh, a breast cancer survivor uh, a women's championship belt or when they have um, a kid come out with the big show on the stage and say, I'm, I'm the destroyer and they give him a little belt. They say, "Here's the destroyer," or when they show a video about women in Saudi Arabia who are able to drive now. There's a part of me that says that there's ulterior motives behind it. That they're only doing it because Vince McMahon got investigated by the government in 1992. And lay, look at us. We're doing nice things now. We're a real company. Mm-hmm. Um pat themselves on the back big pat on the back and there's that little bit of phoniness to it and that's what I think caused the resentment because again I think that these these things they do do have like a legitimacy to them do have um, an admirable aspect to them like I think the Connor the Cure stuff in particular is like wonderful I think the breast cancer whatever you think about Susan G. Coleman I think the breast cancer, cancer awareness thing is really important but the fact that they're so fucking smug about it, the fact that they're so um, in love with themselves about it, and this also goes back, it's a little bit different, but the fact that they, do you remember on Raw, they used to have like, did you know, Raw had the mm. most social interaction, even more than NFL. It's like that that um, that insecurity, that need to yeah. be legitimized that they have is like, I think what leads to this. Yeah. 
It is. Sorry, I've just it been is. rambling myself for ten minutes. <laughs> it's not really a not really a discussion here. Is is so kind of transparent. And yeah, you know, can you think of any other sort of organization or or you know form of entertainment or company that spends so much of its programming talking about oh we do all this for charity like i i don't you know the premier league the, the disguise sports or bt sports spend all this time talking about all the great charity work that the footballers do going to visit uh you know cancel well i mean sky sports don't but you know you see on on man united's to take for instance man united's twitter account that there'd be photos of the footballers in, in hospitals with kids and yeah, but it's, it's and occasional. That. And I think if WWE did, you know, if they occasionally tweeted out, oh, you know, here's Mark Henry visiting a terminal kid, I don't think it'd be a problem. But the point is they use their their kind of flagship shows and channels to, to push this stuff. But is that a so, bad thing that they use their... I mean, they're, they're in a position where they have these TV shows that are watched by millions um, around the world, not only in America. Isn't it... Isn't it um, prudent that they would promote those things on these shows as I mentioned the, the Connors Cure thing the money they receive goes to pediatric cancer why would they not promote that on their shows but is, they're not I don't feel like they're promoting awareness of the is it the, the way they do it is, is the I problem, feel like they're promoting it? the fact that they're doing it the focus I, isn't I agree is the, pro- is the problem <laughs> you know even the pink rope stuff if they had a you know a website domain or a number or something we could donate and that was on screen but it's not it's kind of just symbolic like oh we're gonna make the pink rope you know ropes pink we're gonna give the women some belts mm. what are they actually you know they're not achieving anything it's it's lip service mm. this is one that i'm really in two minds of I, I i i find it hard to come to a conclusion on this because as i said i think there's i think there is a certain level of um, legitimacy I think that um, I think they really care about a lot of this stuff and I, I think that I, I think that partially that there isn't um, uh, a fakeness to it I think that there isn't um, a transparency to it that we say that you know it's, it's very transparent there's part of me that says that it isn't and there's part of me that wants to give them credit where credit's due for doing these um, initiatives um and yet and, and yet, yet and yet they don't give uh their um, their employees uh healthcare, healthcare oh well i wasn't even i wasn't gonna, even going to say that i was going to say um when uh wasn't what was the story that it was like justin roberts and daniel bryan who came up with the whole connor the cure thing and stephanie mcmahon took credit for it or whatever it was <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that there's a little bit of that where, um, like, I, I have a long-standing belief. I don't know even know if I've talked about this on the show, but that, like, um, Triple H is just, like, the most insecure wrestler there's ever been. And his entire career oh. since oh, 2000... Man. Or man. Man that's ever existed. His entire career has been um, essentially uh, 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 pleading for legitimacy. Because mm-hmm. I always feel like he, um, like when someone says to him, I don't know if they say to him, I don't know why someone would say this to him, but when people talk about like, oh, Mick Foley made Triple H at Royal Rumble 2000, I, I believe that he hates that. I really, mm. truly do. Um, and that's kind of symptomatic of, the, and Vince McMahon, we talked about Vince McMahon um, has fought for years and years for WWE to become this legitimate 
um, accepted thing, right? Like wrestling has always had this stigma. So he's he's done the movies, he's done the XFL, uh, and ultimately failed with quite a lot of them. Um, and this is kind of along that path, right? Of making making WWE a legitimate mainstream thing. Like, look, Man United sends their players to the hospital. Hey, hey, we do too. In fact, we do even more. And that's why you should love us, and that's why you should come to our shows and give us money. So there's a little bit of that to it. And, um, I mean, on one hand, I think that people sometimes are a little bit overly harsh with um, the reaction to all the stuff. But at the same time, on the other hand, I can kind of understand that they they do come off very smug. They do come off very um, self-congratulatory about about the stuff that they do. Um, And then that comes to, like, that one story from a few years ago where I, I can't remember who was the wrestler. I, I, I believe I heard it was John Cena, but this I might be misremembering. That there was this one story of, did Meltzer say that there was a wrestler who, like on Christmas Day, anonymously had gone out giving gifts to children or something? Of his own, mm. on his own time, like not for publicity and everything. And I mean, that's truly the admirable thing, right? People who, the unsung heroes who go out of their way to do nice things not for themselves. Or not because they get a net benefit out of doing it. Like if it had come, yeah. if it come, if it had come out today, right, that WWE for the last decade had been, you know, un, not not publicly, but had been donating like two million dollars a year to some children's um, pediatric pediatric cancer fund, and just came out mm-hmm. somehow that that had been happening, like that would be truly admirable, right? That they'd been doing it. Just because it was it was a nice thing to do, because it was um, a, a true, um, I don't even know what the word is, uh, altru- a true altruistic, altruistic like cause, right? Yes. As opposed to plastering it over your TV every week so that you you know that they're doing it. All right, I think that's a more controversial one, but definitely a good um, discussion we had right. there. Um, I guess we can do one more. Uh, which will bring us up to about two hours. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. And this is, again, uh, kind of segueing from the topic we just discussed. And that's, uh, when Triple H takes over the WWE, will things be different? Because a lot of people say that a lot of problems with WWE, creatively and otherwise, is because of McMahon. He's, He's out of touch. Vince McMahon is out of touch with what the kids want these days. Um... So when Triple H takes over WWE, when when Vince McMahon finally um, gives up the reins, either <laughs> no no pun intended, gives up the reins. She would not dare. Um, do you think it's going to be any different? Do you think Triple H is going to really be kind of the savior that people want him to be or expect him to be? Uh, not quite, but I think there will be changes. I think he. He is a wrestling, you know, he grew up a wrestling fan. He's not right. like Vince where his dad was a wrestling promoter, so he got into wrestling despite the fact that I think Vince doesn't really like wrestling. Mm. <laughs> he, probably, he probably thinks it's shit for rednecks, which is why he spent his entire career trying to <laughs> open up alternative businesses like the movies and like XFL and stuff like that. Right. Whereas I think Triple H does love the business. He loves wrestling and he gets it at that level as of being a fan even though, as we said, he's the most insecure, <laughs> insane man that have lived. Um, <laughs> so I think things will change. And if you look at NXT, 
I know Triple H has said in the past that um, he doesn't think that would work for the main flagship product, that they do that because that's for the hardcore fan. Mm. But part, part of me also thinks that style of wrestling is closer to what he would envision as like the main uh, the main product. You know, yeah. the kind of pared down, the, the storylines, the kind of slightly old school approach to it. Yeah. So I, we'll see. It's difficult because obviously WWE is such a big machine. Um, it would be tough for things to change, but I, I think it would. I think it would be different. I mean, I think um, NXT is the biggest signpost to how a post WWE, a post excuse me, a post Vince McMahon WWE would be. Um, and I do think you know, I think he does a hell of a job with it, and not just in terms of the on-screen product but with in terms of like um recruitment of wrestlers um in terms of the pacing of the storylines in terms of um the match quality do you know um i think triple h and his team i think i think also the team that he's kind of amassed around himself is um kind of speaks to his mindset when it comes to promoting wrestling like he's like he's obviously very close to William Regal William Regal in NXT one of his right hand men um the trainers that he employs like Matt Bloom um Mm. Shawn Michaels working out of NXT now Dusty Rhodes at the time like real great wrestling minds whereas Vince um I know for the longest time like Pat Patterson was his right hand man but Pat Patterson is like out of the Wrestling out of the sixties and seventies, if not even earlier. Yeah, and was it Kevin Dunn as well? Kevin Dunn, another person who hates wrestling. Another wrestling hater. Yeah. Um, Triple H is kind of surrounded himself by people who 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 have been in the business as recently as the last decade. Um, mm. and NXT, I, I I tell you what, NXT every week is is great, and um, to the point that I think even if NXT was two hours that it would still be better paced than Raw. And I think it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've just got such great great recruitment, great talent. I mean, I, I love that one thing that WWE kind of finally came around on was the acceptance of the indies and recruitment of people from the indies. Because for the longest mm-hmm. time, it seemed like they were hell-bent. And this is maybe, again, before Triple H's time, this is maybe more of a an OVW fcw thing that they were just hell-bent on on creating their own stars we'll hire some some bodybuilder or some american football star and they'll be the next we'll we'll build them from the ground up and and triple h just kind of said well maybe it's maybe it's better than we we get some people in who are like established big names in wrestling (laughs) know how to wrestle know how to work a program and do a promo Mm. and stuff um because now you have guys like uh you know, Matt Riddle, Ricochet, Pete Dunne, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, EC3. Um, and then you do, to be fair, you have then, you know, Velveteen Dream, Lars Sullivan. Um, you've got this, like, great mix of the big personality, Keith Lee, big personalities, um, guys who are great at the promos, guys who have excellent matches. Mm. And they all kind of, you know, work together in in the one system, and uh, like every takeover, whatever it is, every three or four months, every takeover they do, 
fucking great matches and it's pay-per-view length but it's a pay-per-view that I, I sit through and I, I enjoy every match and uh, I and it leaves me interested in watching the next one whereas when I watch um, let's say over the last five years when I've watched a, a Raw or a Smackdown pay-per-view even like a Wrestlemania SummerSlam they're just fucking laborious to get through sometimes for whatever yeah. reason and yeah. um, I guess one of the more interesting things is uh, and I don't what the I don't know what the answer to this is, is that when people get brought up from NXT through our SmackDown, they they in, instantly become less interesting. I don't know why that is. Um, yeah. And and even the matches aren't as good. Like I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Whether it's the, the fact that they're working with different people, the fact that maybe they working on a bigger stage need to adapt the way they work or whatever it is. But. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samojo. To be fair, Samojo is kind of is succeeding up there more more than most. But um, Andrade Cien Almas, Authors of Pain, The Revival, um, American Alpha. Not the fact that a lot of people uh, or a lot of acts bomb when they bring them up or, or don't, you know, quote unquote, don't get used properly. But even the ones that do seem lesser for some reason. They seem lesser than they were in NXT. Mm, um, mm. And I can't quite put my finger on why that is. Vince. Must be McMahon. God damn it, you son of a bitch. So when, well, Tri- when Triple H takes over the reins, yeah. maybe then we'll see people continue, um, or let's say not, maybe not continue, but adapt more easily from NXT WWE because Triple H. Yeah. Uh, will be in charge or alternatively maybe NXT will change when Triple H moves up to the bigger leagues will they have someone else in charge of NXT yeah a William Regal NXT will become the main show <laughs> maybe will, will become like god no it'll just be football players dropping each other on their heads well there we go uh, I think we've discussed as much as we can Joe I think we've hmm explained and hmm I wondered uh, take it much as we can two hours i think so um that was, that was good yeah it was good well um i think that's all that's left to say is thank you for joining us we'll be back next week hopefully with barry joining us we'll do the old guff format we'll be back with with movie reviews video game reviews TV, yeah I've, I, I've i've um played assassin's creed odyssey uh i won't say what, what i think of it you have to tune in next week for that um I'm gonna watch some some movies. I can't tell you what I've seen, what I've not seen. I'll tell you next week. I have an email. I won't say who it's from or what it's about. You have to wait till <laughs> next week for it. Um, Mystery. Is there any wrestling news? Jeez, we don't even know if the Saudi Arabia show is happening anymore. You have to wait till next yeah. week to find that out. Um, what what did we think of OTT last night? I can't tell you. I'd love to tell you, mate. We're out of time. To, Sorry, night. you're gonna have to Sorry, work. We work go. We're going off air. Um, thanks for joining us everyone you can find us on the usual channels chairshoppodcast.com is the website uh, chairshoppod on twitter Griff Tannen uh, Paul Griffin CSP and uh, the Barry Lad yeah. uh, join us right now so um, for me it's goodbye and from Paul also goodbye also goodbye and we'll see you next week bye 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 bye